This week on the reverse stick, what's in a number? Can a big number be small or conversely a small one big? Doesn't matter, only one number counts in sport, W. Greetings once again. Welcome to the Reverse Stick, the self-build global hockey podcast. Pleasure to be with you once again. My name is John Lee. Sitting aside me across the table, Matt Allen. Welcome, Matt. Hi, John. How are you? Are you ready for the uh, excitement of what will be show 220? I am indeed. It's a gorgeous Saturday afternoon. It is. Sun is shining. We're in a dark room with no windows <laughs> it's actually starting to warm up a little bit it is warm yeah I do, I, we haven't had it as bad as we had oh, a couple of years i nearly passed out one day with that i'm oh, sorry for the mouth noises and started getting a little bit dizzy because it, it warms up in here particularly when it's 40 degrees outside that's why sometimes we record later in the evening yeah that's probably good. at times it's not appropriate to well however. I, I was around really early today and i gave you a little a little quite <laughs> really early for us on a saturday morning and gave you a bit of a shock because you know you'd yeah. had a, you'd had a late night because I saw some of John Lee's late night tweets um, <laughs> that that popped up very rude to uh, Teo. Although well, he wasn't being but, rude to Teo, but he is. But he is he is a bit of a shit stirrer, so he probably deserved it. Well, coming out with some crap, trying to bring Keely into it, talking about me influence, influencing umpires in the local area. I thought we made it pretty. Do. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But he's saying, is this right? None of you, none of your bloody business. Is, well, is it wrong? Ask the other question. Is it wrong? Mm. I don't know. And keep keep your nose out of what are my interactions. Whatever with it is, it's not working. Why? I had a seven nil win midweek. It was working just fine. Oh, but says the super coach. I um, <laughs> I, I I played it for. I played Have you it got a checkbook. That's how you put that team together. With a like, there's a couple of like Jimmy's a very very good fullback, right half, inside left, uh, centre forward, right winger. He's just an incredible <laughs> incredible player. <laughs> And it got to the stage where I didn't even need to lay a tackle. All I needed to do was make sure the bloke passed it, and I'd know that Jimmy would be there around the back and whisking the ball away. It's good. It's good to play with good players, though, isn't it? Yeah, it helps. You know? I mean, I, that's you know, obviously I don't know people, how they feel about playing with you. Well, but... no, that's exactly <laughs> the, the the comment that they make as well. News. Get straight into it, Matt. What news have we this week? Oh, uh, well. Uh, just uh, results-wise, uh, Copper, Copper del Rey in Spain, the men's oh, competition, Athletic Terrassa 4-3 winners over Racing Club de Polo Barcelona. Congratulations. And in the uh, Copa del Rey. Is that in normal time or did they have to no, have a shoot? normal time. A short corner late on the winner for Terrassa. No, penalty corner, man. Oh, see, I don't agree with everything that Keely wrote on her um, uh, terms of, of hockey that uh, are now defunct or uh, incor- it is a incorrect. It's a 25 line. It's a 25 percent line, not the 25 yard line. It's right. still a 25. Yeah, we've yeah. been through that. Yeah, easy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and in the Copa del Reina, Club de Campo de Madrid, four-two uh, winners over Junior. Congratulations to both cup winners there. Big day uh, in Spanish hockey. Uh, big day in Spanish hockey. Malaysian hockey rolls on. There's oh, lots yes. of stuff going on in the Tun Abdul Razak Cup, both men and women's competitions there at the moment. And, of course, John, coming up yeah, in just a few days' time, it's the, not sure what number, Men's Junior World 
Cup from Bhubaneswar oh, in India. I thought you meant India. the um, Central American Development Tournament. Oh, no, that same, starts the same day, doesn't it? On same the 24th. day. Yeah, for, for men and women. Hockey Fives. In San Jose. Costa Rica. Yep. Uh, Hockey Five, senior women's and men's, so good luck to those teams. But yes, the FIH Adisha Hockey Men's Junior World Cup gets underway in BBI. That's yes. how you spell it, isn't it? It is. Um, four pools, Matt, of exciting young talent. Pool A, Belgium, Chile, Malaysia, South Africa. Pool B will be Canada, France, India and Poland. Pool C, Korea, Netherlands, Spain, the United States, and Pool D, Argentina, Egypt, Germany, Pakistan. Who's your favourite, Matt? Who's my favourite? Who do you think's going to, well, considering that you don't have a team in this competition, neither do I, but mm. who, who I, takes you? Sorry, what did you say? You, you don't have a, no. a team. What's your, what's your point you're making? Australia's there? not there. Uh, good, as long as that's what it is, because it is. And you can't default to England. No, either. because it's the twelfth uh, uh, anniversary of me uh, getting the passport. Is it really? Uh, no, hang on, no, it's not. Citizenship. Citizenship. Twelfth yeah, anniversary of citizenship. Yep. Well, congratulations. I know it's a painful operation. You'll never be able to grow that part of your body back. But welcome to Australia. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, yeah, I have no idea. This Look, is this is a great thing. I, I really don't know. You think who's Belgium shine. would be pretty strong in pool pool A? against Chile, Malaysia and South Africa, given the fact that they've got a very good senior men's team. Oh. There's probably going to be a few good players in that yeah, side. Yeah, but I, I think you could be just as excited for South Africa and Malaysia as well. Are you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, look, oh, at, okay. look at my face. Look how excited I am. Pool B, it's Canada, France, India look like the team there that's going to top that pool, you'd think. Well, a little fun fact that I'd spotted from sticktohockey.com on Twitter is that um, when India won it in 2016 in Lucknow, uh, they're the only host nation to win any medal at the Men's Junior World Cup. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. Maybe you know. Maybe it's, something in that. Maybe they can double up there. Uh, pool C. This will be an interesting one. Netherlands and Spain are both in Pool C against Korea and the United States. Now we've mentioned we sometimes like the, the way the Koreans go about their hockey. They could be a surprise packet. And Netherlands and Spain. Um, They'd, they'd be pretty closely matched, you'd think. So that could be a, well, they, an interesting course. pool. The United States, I don't think, are going to, uh, you know, they'll just add to goal difference for people. Great chat coming up in the show with Mark Agner from Stateside, talking about the NCAA uh, finals that are happening at the moment. But we also have a little discussion about the buzz around Junior World Cup yeah. and, uh, and what's happening there um, yeah, in, in the US. Then in Pool D, you've got Argentina, Germany, Pakistan, and Egypt. Now, Egypt could easily, you know, they could be the banana peel team, so you're going to have to watch them. Argentina, Germany, and Pakistan, you don't know what you're getting from Pakistan, in all honesty. Um, Germany and Argentina, they yeah, tough. Pretty I think, good. I think, <laughs> I think, that's, be hard I think that's probably the, t- the toughest pool to, to call there. Um, yeah, that's going to be tough. Just on Egypt quickly, I noticed that the um, African club. Uh, championships, which is happening in Ghana. Um, the team lineups of um, the sides that are playing have come through that. No Sharkier from Egypt, neither the men's or the women's competition this year. I think it's, that's a, oh, a rarity not, opens to, not it up, to see, it? see them, but there's still three teams. Of course, we've got, you know, the Ghana Revenue Department and yeah. Police Department, and uh, there's, another, uh, that, there's another special one in there. Which are the two Ghana teams that? Is always worth to watch. Tax, no, tax department. Ta- and the police, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. It's yeah, those yeah, two yeah. sides that like to have a crack at each other. Um, so that's the men's 
Junior World Cup getting underway on the 24th, same time as the Central American Development Tournament. We also have test matches coming up between the USA and Canada for women. Uh, that's on the 26th to 28th in California. Terrible place to have to go and play hockey, wouldn't it, Matt? Uh, and then the Women's Junior World Cup, the FIH, in Pontchartrain in South Africa. We'll go through that again next week or something. I've like got, we just got, did. Got, got, but, a, got uh, a bit of time. Good luck to the ladies. So the Men's Junior World Cup, I've seen that they will be streaming on the Watch.Hockey app, unless, of course, there is a broadcaster within your area. Now, I don't know whether that's going to be picked up by the likes of KO here in Australia, or we might be free to watch it on, uh, on Watch.Hockey. Now, a tournament you might be interested in coming up, also starting on the 5th of December, Matt, the Donghao Women's Asian Champions Trophy. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting, the Champions Trophy concept. Asian Champions Trophy. Yeah, but why do we play a Champions Trophy anyway? I thought we got rid of Champions Trophy, but surprising to see it still strong in Asia. Who 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 lobbied to get rid of the Champions Trophy? Mm, well, men's men's is coming a bit later in the month as well in December in, in uh, Dhaka. Um, I don't know if it's under the same if it's just the top teams in Asia. It doesn't oh yeah China India Japan Korea Malaysia Thailand. Uh, can you think of uh, another Asian women's team that should be in there? Mm. It's not the, that wouldn't be the top six teams in Asia probably. Yeah. Anyway, pa- Pakistan. Uh, do they have a women's team? Well, they do, but behind closed doors. Okay. Uh, be hard to play against them because you wouldn't get any of that body movement signals, would you? <laughs> It'd just be sort of two hands sticking out from underneath a cloak, holding a stick. What are you talking about? You know, better play one of these. <laughs> You're listening to The Reverse Stick, the self-build global hockey podcast. You're, you're, okay, we'll get to the bottom of that. Do you want to get to the bottom of that now? Sure, why not? Because I know you're very fist-pump bashing on the table about no, self-build. No, 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 not at all. But it's just, we did. Well, we it, built it ourselves. It's, it, yes, yeah. Didn't it, we? It's in, it's in relation to an article in the hockey paper, um, of course, the self-build hockey paper, Um which fe- fe- features a features a, a a quote from from the show you! from me yeah like it says as reverse okay well I do I can have a go at it because Matt's double T not single T and I'm at least um, got the I'm A as, got Alan he did yeah as the reverse stick presenter oh. <laughs> Matt you know so that's just one sentence we've picked out there you get quoted. In the hockey paper, and all you can do is find fault with it. Pick, pick, pick. Well, it's nice. Look, I saw it on my Facebook feed to start with, and, and, and it read, um, it's like the Dutch don't want to share it with the rest of the world. And I thought, hang on. I'm pretty sure I said something like that <laughs> recently. <laughs> Cheeky bug has gone and ripped, ripped off something I said on the show. And then I've opened oh, up the link. Giving you credit. I opened up the link, and then lo and behold, it says, the message was loud and clear on a recent episode of the Reverse Stick, the South Build Global Hockey Podcast. Oh, it's double L, not B-U-I-L-D. No, yeah, no, it's not... B-I-double-L-E-D. Not, not, not duck build either. And yeah, it, well, that, that could have worked, couldn't it? Well, we we right. had to we had to pick our own name and title because no one else did it for That's us. That's right. Be hard launching a podcast with no name, wouldn't it, and telling people where... I mean, who who, who would you be telling? <laughs> Might as well just go and stand out in the street Get and back shout, onto shout about hockey. Get back onto the content, because what's really important is the content, Matt. Yeah, but no, it's, it's, it's picking up on a comment that I've made. I'll, I'll quote myself here. 
<laughs> Unless do you want to do it? Do you want to do it for me? Can I do it in your voice? Yeah, do it in my accent. Oh, this will but be a bit it's for the Dutch market. And it's kind of like two fingers up to the rest of the world that we have the best product. You have to find a way to find us. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, like you know, nice to get this. You see, this is going to help, John. In it's our, nice. In Look, it was food for thought. Mm. You've given me a brain snack. That's good. That's good. Pe- people listen occasionally. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but he makes a good point too that it, um, the Dutch product could really achieve great things, given that no one watches the pro league, but plenty of people like watching Dutch hockey. Yeah, which is basically what the point was. You and Making a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, the quote here from from uh, the hockey papers: "Repurposing its leagues for an English market and extra focus on packaging highlights more widely would surely raise the brand and product, given that no other association comes close." Yep, and then yep. adding that there's 50 foreign players that are playing in the league. There, there, there has to be some interest, you know, from from overseas. Oh, there is, and one of the one of the reasons why it's it's harder to engage outside. For the outside world is because the uh, many people speak Dutch, and you know that's just a fact. That's a problem we've got with uh, Innocent and Baddeley that we we mentioned the fundraising. Oh yeah, through the, through the Dutch um, crowd crowdfunding with the VOR in the middle V O O R. That the only way that you can make any um, uh, donations is if you've got a Dutch bank account. <laughs> And so it gives you the options of the nine Dutch bank accounts that you could use to make a donation to that. So I think Innocent needs to uh, look at some way that you can do some PayPal or Bitcoin payments or something. Uh, hey, while we're, while we're on Dutch hockey, ah, yeah, yeah. Well, we the re- don't like... The review, the review. Now, obviously, yeah. the men's game is on the up again, and we spoke very recently about the demise of the, the women's game, and lo, yeah. and lo and behold... It's happened. Article came out from the KN, well, on hockey.inl, I first spotted it. Um, when I see that, like, it says KNHB, mm-hmm. it, for some reason, my mind tips over to, like, NKOT, like, New Kids on the Block. They call themselves <laughs> NKNTNOBL or something, right. or whatever it was, but I just wrote, it doesn't, it just, anyway. So just specifically 80s and 90s bands, is that what well, you think specifically of? specifically that one. Right. Uh, for, for some reason, I see KNHB, and it just reminds me of new. But it, once again, K- it doesn't, but doesn't, make, doesn't make sense, does it? The Royal the Dutch Hockey Association—that would be the RDHA, wouldn't it? Well, <laughs> it's in Dutch. Oh, this is part of the problem. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the story. Sure. Uh, the this Royal... also from the hockey paper. Yeah. Well, this report's all over the place, but because we, we happen to have the hockey paper open in front of us, we can refer to it. Uh, the Royal Dutch Hockey Association has launched an independent inquiry into the Orange Women's Performance Program. It follows reports of a negative environment and player unrest within the Olympic champs camp. According to KNHB, the investigation aims to find out why reports of negative culture have become more prevalent in the Tokyo cycle compared to previous major competitions. It has been established that the group culture, mutual communication and the individual well-being of players and staff can be improved, the KNHB said in a statement. According to a report by NOS, the Dutch broadcasters, some of the Orange players do not have a good feeling about the... That's in quote, good feeling. I'm assuming they're quoting a player when the Dutch broadcaster says that. 
they do not have a good feeling about the team climate during the Tokyo Olympic cycle with claims of, quote again, verbal intimidation, unquote, towards some squad members. It is not known at this stage whether this is aimed at coaching staff or senior players. Around 30 players met on Monday with Association Chairman Eric Corneliuson and Technical Director Jerome Bilge. Jerome. Jerome. It is understood that there were differing opinions as the performance cult, from, as to the performance culture within the squad. Current national coach Alison Allen will not be part of the investigation, while the inquiry will be conducted by an external panel. And there follows a statement uh, from the KNHB. Do we read it? KNHB is used to evaluating players, staff and other stakeholders after every major title tournament. Also in the period of the past sports summer, with the European Championship and Olympic Games so successful for the Dutch, Dutch national team, this evaluation with coach, staff members and players occurred. During those individual conversations, it emerged that not all those involved feel good about the team climate in which they have performed in the past period. It has been noted that the good Group culture, mutual communication, and the individual well-being of players and staff are points that have to be improved. No, that have improved. Have improved. Could be. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means, actually, when I read that sentence. It has been noted that the group culture, mutual communication, and the individual well-being of players and staff are points that have improved. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Okay. Slightly lost interaction. No, it's not a typo. That's just, that's be a straight Google um, translation. Oh, okay. The KNHB believes that this is not a desirable situation and naturally considers the individual well-being of all involved important. That is why the Hockey Association has decided, based on the evaluation interviews, that extra attention should be paid to this and has now called in an external supervisor together with the players, coach and staff to achieve the desired improvements. Now, now what we're not seeing is... That, um, is another is, Google translation, the word supervisor, <laughs> do you think? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but we're not seeing... Uh, players coming out and making any statements l- like we have done with Australia, like we have done, seen with England for, for national national programs. It's something which is happening in-house, but they're getting the, the, the best foot, uh, foot forward with it and, right, this is this is the, uh, the route that we're going to take. Is, is this another sign of the old way meeting the new way? Well, it, the pre the pre digital age and the and the post digital children. Oh, well, now we're getting no seriously because um, they're a very successful team, really successful. None, no none, one's no one's none more so. No one's no one's getting near them at the moment. Yeah, and we've seen in a lot of sports and hockey as well the you know that ways and means of doing things in the past are clashing with expectations for the present and the future as far as behaviour of people or methods or, you know, styles. What you're um, saying, you're saying the, young, the youngsters have been mollycoddled too much and um, break down with any kind of an adversity or, um, in inverted commas, strong leadership from others within the group? Well... As much as I've jumped may, to a few conclusions, no, no, then. No, no, as much as I may, I no, no, may let, not let me put think these, the no, modern generation is soft as. Okay, okay, still, still a meeting of of different ways and, and expectations of of life, of of you know 
the way people treat each other or you know, you'd have to say that pretty much gone are the days of the rant coach. I mean, occasionally you get a coach that'll show a bit on the side, but the, the proper grumpy ranter, they're gone pretty much. Yeah. Um, Although, um, he was great for a few years at Dan Bosch, wasn't he? <laughs> Grump, grumpy ranter. I've got nothing against And even better in his, 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 his playing days. What a centre-half uh, on Grumpy Ranter. Oh, God. <laughs> well, he played a lot with Clint, didn't he? He did. Flicker. Yeah, back in the grumpy day, him ranter. and Flicker. Oh, ranter and Flicker. They couldn't keep him apart, particularly in the bar after a That's game. Right. Oh, my God. They'd be undies nailed to the, uh, to the ceiling and all sorts. Well, didn't we... Beer pong, the lot. Didn't we successfully side rail what could have been quite a dangerous sort of topic to get into? <laughs> you listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. Yeah, I, I just think that in the, the, the there's a, a difference happening everywhere. It's not just our sport. Expectations are changing and people are growing up into a, a world expecting those changes to occur. And there's others of us that have grown up in a world that those have, has changed from. So we perhaps don't have the same expectations that that's the way you treat people or the way you talk to people or the way you do whatever. We're, we're old, John. Um, before we get on to catching up with Mark Egner, stateside talking all things NCAA Which finals and, now, and more, 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 um, we do, of course, John, have to take care of the very important business of the social media club promo of the week. Social media club promo of the Week. This week we head way north in Scotland to Aberdeen to the Gordonians Hockey Club. I've actually done some research. Well, I say research. I've got the Wikipedia page open on one phone and their fixtures for this coming weekend, Saturday the 20th and Sunday the 21st of November. Gordonians wear uh, yellow shirts, blue shorts. Oh, research. Founded in 1911 and their uh, men's first 11 play in the Scottish National League. Uh, they were formed in 1911 to provide former pupils of Robert Gordon's College with the opportunity to continue playing hockey after their school years and to maintain, maintain contact with each other. Um, there you go. So that's that. Fixtures for this weekend. Good luck, uh, Gordonians, if you're, if you're playing. Well, well, hang on a Is this your social media? Club promo of the week. Gordonians yeah. Hockey Club. Scotland. Okay. Um, Saturday, 20th of November, 1.30 Pushbacks all around. You love that one. Pushback. All right, centre pass. FMGM Monarchs versus the men's first 11. That's you know, at Downer Craig. Uh, Western Wildcats versus the ladies' first 11 at Ockenhowie. The ladies' twos take on Aberdeen at Countess Wales. One of their, their, that's their home ground. And the men's twos follow also playing against Aberdeen at Countess Wales on Sunday the 21st of... That's another, another one that's probably not pronounced Countess Wales, but... It is now. Yeah. Uh, Aberdeen Uni 4s take on the ladies' yellows at Hillhead on the Sunday at 10.20am. Oof! 10.20 on a Sunday morning. Oof. Aberdeen Uni 2s take on their fourth 11 at 12 o'clock at Hillhead. Ellen second 11 take on the ladies' blues at Ellen 1 o'clock start. And Quasar take on their third 11 also at Algin at one, no, not also at Algin, at Algin at one thirty. There you go. That's the fixtures for Gordonians Hockey Club in our social media club primer of the week. It's time to... Uh, that was it. That was it. Oh, do you want some more on the club? I thought there was something about umpires. 
Oh, that was no, that was on the original. Yeah, original. Yeah, I thought that was a whole. That was the post that you were okay, going to refer no, right. to. So, it's so, a social media post of the week. So the post, not just club fixtures. So the post that they, they put out there. <laughs> hang on, sorry. That, but that's what we do with the social media club promo of the week. Um, it's, yeah, it says on the post which has got the yeah, fixtures. Normally, on, there's something that it says, makes it a bit. The last weekend of Premiership National League fixtures for our first teams for our first teams until the Christmas break. Good luck to all teams playing. Go the blue and yellow. Yellow and blue. Unfortunately, some players have lost out on the chance to play as they have to umpire their own games. If you're interested in becoming an umpire, please get in touch. We need you. Or they could get in touch with Matt and learn how to umpire your own game while you're playing it. You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Time to get to Matt Allen and our guest this week, Mark Egner. Thankfully, I left the room, so it's only a 40-minute conversation. Great to welcome back to the show our man stateside, Mark Egner, coach of Dartmouth College Field Hockey. And uh, he's come along today to talk all about the NCAA finals that are happening right now. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, Ian. It's good to be back. Now, it's uh, all excitement at the moment. There's been semi-finals in Division 1 sort of taking place well, overnight for us, but today for you? Yeah, they were smack bang in the middle of today, so they were scheduled to tip off at noon, but didn't end up happening till one because of uh, some weather issues and delays. But they ended up uh, getting the two games in, which was good, and uh, both proved to be quite interesting and exciting games. Now, I saw your support from a tweet. Oh, maybe it was in the week um, congratulating Harvard. Now, Harvard, they're they're in the same in the, in the Ivy League uh, sort of section as as your side. Yeah, that's correct. So there's eight schools in the, the Ivy League. They call themselves the Ancient Eight. And um, Harvard came out on top in the league this year and got their route to the NCAA tournament from that and then made their way to their first ever Final Four appearance this year, which was huge for them and for the, the conference for us to be represented at that level. Um, back in 2019, Princeton made it as far as the national championship game and then in 2020, with COVID, the Ivy League made the choice for us not to compete at all. So it was great to see an Ivy League team make it the whole way to the Final Four. And um, we were lucky enough to play Harvard in a friendly early in the season and play them again later in the season. So they're a program we got to see up close and personal a little bit more often than most this year. And it was cool to see them make that progress. And 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 your personal season wasn't wasn't as best as you, you might have hoped for. No, no, not the best we could have hoped for, but in a lot of ways, we um, we were able to focus on the positives. Like I said, not getting to play last year was a bit of a shock to the system for a lot of people, and just being able to get back out there and play and travel the country a little bit was, was wonderful, and a lot of growth, but not quite the uh, the results on the field that we would have hoped for, but there's more to come in the future, hopefully. Yeah, fantastic. So what... Give us a bit of a snapshot of your, how your season did pan out then, just in general for listeners who, who don't necessarily follow what's happening in, in the States, um, and particularly with some of the restraints that you've had with, with movement and COVID-19 issues. Yeah, well, um, it was a little bit different school to school, but across the NCAA, the, which is the governing body that oversees uh, collegiate field hockey here in the U.S., we had some pretty consistent policies about things like when we travel for away games. Generally, teams travel by bus, and we had to wear masks on the buses, and we had to participate in COVID testing at different 
regularities depending on your campus. So for my student athletes, they have to get tested twice a week. Um, we were required to be masked when we were indoors. So if we had team meetings or the, the girls were going in and out of the locker room and things, they had to have their masks on. So there's a lot of things kind of shaken up from a COVID perspective, but we got very lucky that when we came out of preseason, we got to start our season with a trip out to California. And uh, we got off to a good start. We got our first win, winning in uh, overtime and then going to penalty shootouts. So we managed to get as much hockey as we could out of the first game to catch up on what we missed the previous year. And then over the course of the year, we, we had some ups and downs, but we came away with um, a little bit of a disappointing record in where we won four games and lost 13. But like I said, there was some growth and some, some progress shown that hopefully will stand us in good stead going forward. Now, just in general, across the the competition, the teams you've played, and and some of the the hockey that you've got you've got your eyes on, um, has there been a, a good standard maintained? Has there been a bit of a drop off in in previous years because of you know the the lack of hockey the year before? It's actually been a really interesting um, impact that COVID's had on hockey here in the NCAA. So. Generally, across the NCAA, students have the opportunity to compete for four years of eligibility as they go through their college experience. But when um, when last year was starting, because of the uncertainty as to how much, how many games people were going to get to play and whether conferences would or wouldn't play, the NCAA released this blanket waiver that meant that players would automatically get whatever happens last year they'd get an extra year of eligibility to play more. So what that's done is it's opened up this whole kind of transfer market of players who are graduating from their program on time and going off and starting grad school in public school. So what that's created is kind of an extra an extra layer of seniority and like more experienced players hanging on for an extra year. And across the league we've seen this play out in really different ways that have been really interesting. So, for example, I mentioned earlier that Princeton made it to the national championship game in 2019, and then a number of their players who would have been eligible to stay at Princeton and keep playing made the choice to, um, to that when they graduated that they kept their eligibility that they missed out on from last year, and they've gone on to play elsewhere, and they've brought that experience of going to the national championships two programs that maybe needed that little bit of experience coming in to help strengthen them. Yeah. So we had um, Grace Bright, though, who went down to Duke and competed in their goalkeeping. Um, the same with a number of the girls who played for Northwestern today who played for Princeton. And what happened additionally is that last year we had some conferences that made the choice to um, to play only within the conference and not to play what are called non-conference games, which are when you schedule against other teams, whether locally or you travel. And that created a real uncertainty as to how strong conferences were. So as an example, the Big Ten played each other last year. So that's schools like Northwestern, Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland, Indiana, the University of Iowa. Um, I may have missed Ohio State. I may have missed one or two, and if I did, I apologize. Um, but with them all playing only each other, there was an uncertainty as to how strong the, like they, each team was because you couldn't compare their results to how they played against other teams. Yeah. And then coming into this year, we saw the, the Big Ten emerge as a really strong conference as a result of that kind of um, consistent level of competition last year, threatening each other and really pulling the best out of each other. 
which then created a, a real shakeup in the, the makeup of the NCAA tournament this year, where more and more Big Ten teams were represented than in years gone past. So I think at at one level we saw that kind of impact of seniority and the shakeup of last year's experience produce real um, real like growth for programs. And then on the other side of the bargain, we have a lot of teams that, like my own, um, kind of suffered from this feeling of youth where they had a whole group of student athletes who would have usually gone through last year and played who came in and now half the team, whether it's last year's class and this year's freshman class, who didn't play, who are now all getting their first year of experience. And depending on the way their season's played out, that's either been a real positive, that this kind of fresh approach coming in, or it's been, you know, a bit of a learning experience for those teams as they've had to adjust to the transition from coming out of high school hockey into college hockey, um, coming from being in an online learning environment to back in person. And that's created some some real skewy results throughout the year where there's been upsets and things that have happened that were quite surprising. So uh, the University of North Carolina um, suffered their first loss at home to one of the teams playing in the, the, the semifinal in the, the final four today, which is uh, Liberty. And that's their first loss at home in three years. And that they're coming off the back of back-to-back-to-back national championships so they are a perennial powerhouse program who was really shaken this year. And I think a lot of that can be kind of attributed to the impact of last year. Um, again, the ACC, which is another one of the strong conferences, last year made the choice. They were the only conference to make the choice to play in the fall. So they had a full season last this time last year. Then they came back and played in the spring when everybody else was playing this past year, which is an anomaly in the in the NCAA system. And they played a full season in the spring. Then they had the summer off, and they're back and playing again now. And there was talk that maybe the impact of playing three back-to-back seasons contributed to maybe some of the underperformance of ACC ACC teams this year. So it's been an interesting season, um, and it's been a it's been a fun one to watch. And there's been some real kind of new heavy hitters emerged this year, which has been great to see. So you just mentioned their Big Ten sort of having a bit of dominance there this year. Is is there generally a conference that will be more dominant, or do you find there's an even even spread? Historically, one of the big things that I've heard about since moving to the U.S. is that there's a, a kind of a, a two-way battle between the ACC and the Big Ten to be the conference that is the, uh, the powerhouse conference. And looking back at the NCAA... Um, kind of records over the years and especially in recent years we've seen um, the ACC be really well represented in those kind of big big moments um, North Carolina as a program has been in the national championship games in 2015 2016 2018 2019 2020 um, so that is one program alone that's represented the ACC in the, the final. Um, with pretty alarming frequency in the last six years. But um, Michigan and Maryland um, and um, uh, so Michigan and Maryland have both been in there um, between them three times in that period of time representing the, the Big Ten in, um, excuse me, in, in that national championship final. So it's been kind of a, a battle between the two, but 
the way that the NCAA tournament is made up is there's a representative from every conference, and then there are some at-large conferences or some at-large uh, positions that are given to the top-ranked teams every year. And in recent years, uh, we've seen that slowly become a kind of a more balanced approach between the ACC and the Big Ten. And this year, I think we saw the Big Ten kind of hedge it on numbers and come out a little bit ahead this year. And we mentioned right at the top there that semifinals have just happened in Division One, with Northwestern defeating Harvard and Liberty defeating Maryland. Did you get your eyes on any of those games? I got my chance. I got a chance to watch a bit of both of them today, which is great. Um, I was in the office and I was in a meeting with one of them on in the background, and everyone in the room knew it was on, so we were all good. <laughs> and there were some really interesting and exciting ones. Um, the first game between Liberty and Maryland was. Again, like when I say that these are interesting games, one of the things that's um, that's kind of unique about this year's Final Four is that of the four teams that made it, um, Maryland are the the team that would be most comfortable being in this situation. They made it to the national championship game in 2018. They made it in 2017. They made it in 2009. um, And they, they were runners up in all three of those years and won in 2010 and in 2011. And Missy Moharg, their coach, has been there consistently throughout a number of appearances um, going back into the, the 90s. So she is coming into that experience um, with this kind of idea of, like, we've been here, we've done this, we've got the T-shirts. And then the other three teams making up the tournament this year are making up the Final Four in um, Liberty, Harvard, and Northwestern. For all, all three of those teams, it's their first time making it to the semifinals and making it to the final four. So, um, again, interesting combinations on the coaching staff front. Missy Marg, the head coach of Maryland, used to have Turks and Harewarden, who's the Harvard assistant, the Harvard head coach, was her assistant for a number of years at Maryland. So he'd been there with her, um, and now he was back. They were both on um, opposite sides of the draw, but they had the opportunity to, to battle it out to maybe have that and competition in the final if they were able to come out that way. Yeah. And then similarly, Northwestern, coached by Tracy Fuchs, making their first appearance. And then uh, Liberty University, coached by Nikki Parker, who played for Tracy Fuchs when she attended Northwestern herself, meant again there was this kind of opportunity for this reunion to come in the final, which could have happened whichever way the, the, the dice rolled. So that first game today between um, Liberty and Maryland was, I think it had some of the most exciting goals I've seen all season. Um, by the time I tuned in, uh, I was still nil all coming out of the first half. And it was, by all accounts, it was anyone's game in the first half. I think um, Maryland edged it. They had 11 shots to Liberty six. And they had um, three penalty corners, but Liberty had five. So it was a pretty even game coming into the into halftime. And then early on in the um, early on in the second half, um, one of the star players for Jill Bolton, or pardon me, for Liberty this year, Jill Bolton, won the ball um, pretty high up the field and was able to beat the keeper one on one and get Liberty off to off to the races and get get them out ahead. And then about ten minutes later, one of the nicest goals I've seen all season. The ball's played a um, shot stayed in against the goalkeeper from back high to um, Charlotte, Charlotte Van Holt, who in the air kind of softball swings it in 
smashes it hard back across the face of goal, hits off the post and goes in. And at that point, Liberty are out ahead. Looking good value for their lead. Now, interesting, this year, um, Liberty are the number one ranked offense in the country. They're kind of on track to score about three three and a half goals a game. Looking at the statistics from the year. So at that point, you're thinking, wow, Liberty, they got this, they're going for it. And then 40 seconds later, Maryland come down the other end of the field. Ball coming in along the right baseline, comes up on over the goalkeeper, and somebody, um, pardon me, B.B. Donrat comes in, overhead goal, like smashing it down from above her head. Right, yeah. The ball's looped up over the, the Liberty goalkeeper. And then about 10 minutes later, they're back in the, so they're back in the game, 2-1. They get a stroke late in the second, or in the fourth quarter, uh, to tie it up, and that took the game to overtime. And, for your listeners who don't know, there are a lot of things about the American system that are similar, but overtime is not one of them. Um, in the American system, when games go to overtime, they <laughs> it goes to sudden death. Next goal wins, and each team plays with seven on the field. So six field players and a goalkeeper over the whole field. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow, slow down, slow down a minute. So there's a, go, 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 a golden goal, sudden, sudden death. Is there a set time period for that? Uh, two periods of 10 minutes. Two 10 minutes. And automatically down to seven aside? Automatically down to seven aside. And as far as I know, because this is a rule that's existed since before I came to the U.S., this came into the American system to kind of combat a, a phase of time when there was a low-scoring tendency across American hockey. There were a lot of games that were nil-all. And they've been pulled into overtime, and they said, well, why don't we reduce the number of people on the field, give players more space, and maybe we'll be able to see goals quicker, and games will be kind of wound up. Because across American sports, with the number of teams that play each other that aren't within the same conference or the same league, it's really important for them to have a winner yeah. to be able to help determine rankings and things. I was just thinking in like a, a championship system, which is kind of like a cup tournament, has to be a winner to survive in advance. So it makes sense, but the seven aside part, as a <laughs> as a, a transplant, was definitely a shock and a surprise to me when I arrived. Yeah, it and, seems pretty extreme to go yeah. straight to seven. Like we'll just go to the minimum number of players that we need on the field. And are you? But you're allowed to continue <laughs> substitutions through that period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd think and maybe you, you know you'd sort of that. you know drop it down to nine aside or. You know, and then next five minutes, maybe then it's eight aside, and you've got to pull a player off or whatever. It's a, do you think that 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 works any more than it would do if it was down to nine players aside? I I don't know to be honest. How do you co- how do you coach it? How, is it? Are you just playing just in case you have that situation? You are doing some coaching in seven aside situations. Yeah, so you you kind of prep for it a little bit in, in season by playing it at training and having, um, you know, you're going to have a whole new formation you transition into because you don't have the same number of people on the field. And there's two ways you go about it. You either go high risk, high reward, and you go for it. But what I tend to see is teams really being cautious in how much they value possession and not wanting to have a turnover and not over committing on the press because, if you get beat high up the field, it's an awful long way to run home to help defend. And similarly, if you have a turnover, it's really hard to get back and defend. So it kind of changes the dynamics of the game a lot. But 
any moment of turnover really creates excitement because people have feel like they have that opportunity to go and score. One of the other changes that comes in when a game goes to overtime is that you're only allowed to have three defenders and the goalkeeper in the goal uh, if you're defending a penalty corner. Right. Can, can, so you can send somebody you, sorry. else to the halfway line. Can you drag your keeper and and play with eight and um, play with seven outfield? You could do, yeah. I'm just it's going through my head going, you know, what what formation that, but... yeah, what formation do I go with well it's it's a high striker standing <laughs> on the spot and everybody else somewhere around the top of the D. It's defensively, yeah. you know. It's, it's definitely a uh, a strange one when you when you're dealing with it and uh it 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 brings in a whole other level to the game, especially in a moment like this that could really define your season. So the like I said, there's two periods of 10 minutes. Um, in the Liberty-Maryland game, they went the whole 10 minutes without a goal. Um, there was a penalty quarter each in that first period, and Liberty had two shots to Maryland's one. So it was a really kind of tightly um, tightly contested first period of overtime. And then in the second period, um, <laughs> it was looking like they were going to head to shootouts. There was... Eight minutes into the second period, it was still tied at two all, and then um, Liberty won the ball uh, relatively high up in their attacking half of the pitch. Again, Jill Bolton, who's been that one of those star players for Liberty, was involved winning the ball, causing the counter attack. She drew player out towards her, dished the ball to her left to uh, back towards Charlotte Van Hole, who scored the second goal. Noel Frost, the Maryland keeper, came rushing out. And one time, uh, Charlotte was able to get the ball or get underneath the ball and chip it up over the keeper into the goal to give Liberty their first appearance in the uh, national championship game. Now, they're taking on Northwestern in the final. And any predictions from you? And what can we expect out of that game? Well, again, um, like I said, there's a lot of interest in that game because Northwestern are coming into that game as the number two ranked offense in the country. <laughs> So I would say first and foremost, it's probably it's likely to be a high-scoring game. These two teams met back in September, um, playing at Liberty, and it ended up as a four-three game with the fourth goal coming in the 59th minute. So it was a real back-and-forth kind of shootout. Like Liberty went one 0 up, Northwestern got back to one-one, two-one, then Liberty got back to two-two, Northwestern went three-two ahead, Liberty got it back to three-three. And then, like I said, in the 59th minute, um, Northwestern were able to go ahead and get that 4-3 goal. I think some of the things that are going to play into this are um, kind of the impact of, of seniority in the squads. Um, the, the, the two teams' journeys to the final have been a little bit different. Um, Northwestern and Harvard obviously played today as well, which, again... Was another game that had had a lot going on in it, with Harvard being one of the stingiest defenses in the country. Going into today's game, I think they'd only given up seven game or seven goals all season. Um, coming up against the number two team and number two offense in the country, they kept it to one all again the whole way through regular season, regular time, and they went to overtime. And interestingly, coming into that game, I think that. Um, that Northwestern hadn't managed to get a win in overtime all season. 
but they were able to pull the win out today. And that, I think, will be a huge confidence boost for them coming into um, tomorrow, or coming into the game on Sunday. Yeah. Now, both the Northwestern goals today came from direct penalty corner shots, found low on the keeper's stick side um, with direct sweeps, which I think is going to be an interesting piece of the battle for them going up against Liberty on Sunday. I think both teams have the capacity to cause problems from play. Um, but I think this is going to be a, a big stage for both teams. Both coaches, both programs are both arriving into the final for the first time. But Northwestern are one of the teams that um, took um, took real advantage of that NCAA waiver policy. And they had two players on their team, Clara Roth and Matty Baxay, who were in the national championship game with Princeton back in 2019. So I'd imagine their team are going to be able to turn to them and look to them for a bit of that kind of seniority and leadership. Also, earlier in the year, um, when the season was starting, Northwestern had a number of their players who went off to um, Chile with the U.S. junior national team. And they have five girls playing for them today who were a part of that squad that I think came came in third at the Junior Pan Ams and are going to go on to the Junior World Cup um, next month. And that's their goalkeeper, Annabelle Scubas, and then they have Lauren Wattis, Maddie Zimmer, Caleb Lass, and Aaliyah Marshall. And I think all of that is going to kind of be a, a real core of solid, strong players who are used to being in, in important games in a tournament setting. But it's going to give them a real kind of... Um, Court to lean on and to, to, to kind of be able to turn to. But on the flip side of that, um, Liberty are they're 20 and 2 on the season at this point. They've lost twice all year. One of those losses, though, came to Northwestern. So I think we're going to see a real shootout on Sunday. It's going to be an interesting one um, to see who, who can score more than the other team. Um, both teams have solid goalkeepers, strong defenses, but they're both primarily known for their ability to score goals. So I think we could end up seeing a high-scoring game. It wouldn't surprise me if it's a game that's decided by one late in the fourth quarter um, with a lot of, you know, it's going to be a Rocky Balboa kind of fight where it's going to be just nonstop right until the buzzer goes at the end, I think. Oh, it sounds like we, we want to look forward to a goal fest, but it'll probably end up being one of those bloody nil-nil draws. <laughs> <laughs> be decided by one in a shootout. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the fear. Uh, but I think it, it could be it could be an interesting one. And I like what I will say is that um, no matter what, I think you're going to see a, a great game, a real kind of tactical duel between both coaching staff because I think they've both done a great job to get their programs into this situation and to be in the final. And that comes down to kind of how well prepared they've been for each game. And I think the fact that they've played each other early in the year and it was such a close game, it's going to create a real um, kind of cat and mouse game for the coaching staff as they decide how to how to play this and how to prepare for it. And I think you, like, Nikki um, Parsley Blocker, having played at Northwestern, is probably going to be in her brain thinking, well, what are the kind of things Tracy was saying to us when we got to these? kind of high-pressure games when I was a player. What, is, what am I expecting her to do? And on the flip side of it, I'm sure that that relationship between them as, as Nikki's made the move into coaching is going to mean that Tracy's going to have an idea of 
what are Nikki's go-tos and the, the big ones. And I think it's going to be like a real intricate game of chess as they get themselves ready. Sensational. Now, there's also NCAA Divi 2 and Divi 3 finals happening. I see Divi 2, Shippensburg are playing Westchester after um, beating East Stroudsburg in Assumption um, uh, for, for Westchester. And NCAA Divi 3 semifinals are happening as well. Um, have you, do you get to see any of those those sides play at all? I will say that this year I haven't like I haven't had the opportunity to see those sides play. Um, Shippensburg has been a powerhouse program in the last couple of years, and historically a very strong one. But um, relatively recently, they they had a new head coach come in, Tarazonga, who has done a wonderful job at um, at Shippensburg since starting there. Um, it's only her fifth year, and she won back-to-back national championships in her first two years and was able to really establish the program playing a, a nice offensive style of hockey that has um, has kind of really put them on the map and, and made it very interesting that what you're seeing across the state of Pennsylvania where Shippensburg is based is that some of the some of the talent there is choosing Shippensburg over opportunities at NCAA Division One programs because they know how strong the program is going to be. So it's no surprise at all that they're in this situation. And again, they have that experience within the squad and within the coaching staff of what it takes to be in that situation. And what what could move a side like Shippensburg from being a Division Two side to a Division One side? So that's where it's different to hockey elsewhere. Um, so it's not a case of promotion and relegation based on success, as it is it's a decision at the um, at the institutional level as to to what degree they want to support sports. So the difference between Division One, Division Two, and Division Three comes down to um, the amount of funding that they want to give to different sports the level of scholarship support that they have, and then also the amount of um, contact hours that those coaches are allowed to have with their players at different times of the year. Right. So at the NCAA Division One level, you'll see programs have access to up to 12 scholarships for their program. And they can have 20 hours of contact a week while they're in the fall, which is their competitive season, and then they have a large amount of contact available to them in their non-championship season. Then in Division Two. You'll have opportunities for, I think it's up to seven or eight scholarships. You'll have that same availability of contact in your fall championship segment, but a lot less contact hours in your um, in your non-championship segment, which would be that spring season or that spring semester. Um, and then probably less uh, availability of, like uh, less games that they're able to play in that phase. And then in the Division three level, um, those schools don't provide athletics-based scholarships. That you'll still see students get access to, um, you know, scholarships at the school for academic reasons, uh-huh. but um, they can't get athletic scholarships. And then in the non-championship segments, they don't have, or they have extremely limited hours with their teams. To, and it's down to the kind of level of academic and athletic balance that those schools want to have. So at the Division three level, you're going to see schools like Middlebury, Johns Hopkins, uh, MIT, which are all very high academic schools, they do very well at the Division Three level because they have a really strong academic portfolio 
and a really strong athletic portfolio that means that really talented people who want to get a great academic and a great athletic experience, they target those places because they know they can get both of those in a really balanced way that's going to suit them down to the ground. And that's where the division phrase means a totally different thing in the NCAA to where, what it means elsewhere in the world. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned before, I think it was five of the players from Northwestern were in the Junior World Cup side. Um, is, there a, is there a buzz about the international tournaments coming up and USA side's involvement? Yeah, I think across the U.S., they're excited to see both teams out there. And I know the men just touched down in the last couple of days. There's a... Um, and a, a young guy who attends Dartmouth and trains with our team here um, during the week because, again, an interesting piece of the puzzle with uh, boys or men's field hockey here in America is that they don't have that collegiate avenue. So you'll see a number of the players in the U21 squad will be college students who train and play with the girls who are playing in the, the NCAA Division One program. So there's one of our lads out there now, Damian Tarala, who was really excited to head out. And as far as I know, the majority of the squad were centralized in California for a week or two recently to do some prep before head, heading out to India. I think they touched down yesterday or the day before. And there's a real buzz about the fact that both programs, the men and the women, are being represented at the World Cup. Um, the women's team, I think there's... A bunch of them that are going to be playing tomorrow and then a bunch more that are going to be kind of centralizing as soon as this tournament's over this weekend. I know that some of the U.S. staff are out watching the Final Four. Uh, one of their assistants was on Instagram with photos coming out of the stands today. So they're keeping a good eye on their players and making sure that they're aware of who's ready to roll. And I think coming off the back of a season like we've just had, um, they should have a ton of competitive experience. They should be in a great shape going out there. And I think they're going to be able to kind of build off some of the work that they had at the, the Junior Pan Ams. And this is all part of the kind of process that's in place here in the U.S. to try to make sure that they're ready for Paris and uh, hopefully Paris and L.A. So you've, uh, you've you said before that you come, you've come to the end of your season. And, of course, it's the end of the season for a lot of these sides. What... What's going on for you now as a coach and coaches around the states? Is it, are eyes on recruitment for next year, or are you, you you're planning now for what's happening next season? Yeah, so um, at this time of the year, what we tend to see is that, bearing in mind that these are all student athletes, this is all associated with college. It's the students are ramping up towards their final exams, and the coaches are getting back on the road and going recruiting. So. Next Thursday or this coming Thursday is um, Thanksgiving here in America, and there's two major showcases around the U.S. There's one in Virginia and another one down in Florida. So coaches will be flying out to sit on the side of the pitch and watch some of the younger American talent that's coming through, whether that's for you know um, whatever graduation year each college is looking at. So you'll see some schools that are looking for players for this next year, and some are looking for two, three years down the road. So who who are those then, who are those teams that that those uh, players are playing for? Are they club sides or their university or state, regional sides? These would be club sides. So um, similar, I guess, to, to club hockey around the world. You know, there'd be clubs relatively local to where these kids are, but sometimes kids will 
choose to travel hours and hours to be to play on a club that they think is a better club than the ones that are, that are available to them or that provides something that the ones around them don't. Um, and then rather than it being a kind of a, a localized club competition structure, like I would have grown up with back in Ireland, there's a lot of these what are called showcase events. So this is where a lot of clubs will centralize to one location where there might be six, eight, 12 pitches that they're playing on. But those pitches wouldn't necessarily always be, um, you know, we're not we're not talking about six, twelve, eighteen after turf pitches in a row. We're talking about um, the tournaments that had, tend to be held in Florida or held on nice Bermuda grass fields that are well maintained, and then the ones that are held a little further north tend to be held on um, the, that kind of three G turf, yeah, the one yeah. with the little black pebbles. But yeah, you know, don't, don't. Some of the listeners will get upset if you start mentioning three G turf, particularly those in the, the UK, because <laughs> you because you can't play hockey on it. I'll, I'll, I'll invite them down off to the high horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I know it's something that interests John. I don't know if he'll join us at some point today or not. Um, is you know what's that next step for those college players? Where do they then go and play? But you're saying that you know there's some kids that are are playing for a club side, will they go and do their college career and then if they continue playing, go back to those club sides if they if they still live in that same area? Um, sadly, it's not quite as normal to do that as one would hope. Um, USA Field Hockey has been creating some adult club tournaments over the last couple of years that, are, that happen in the summertime. So they have a... Um, they have a big kind of tournament where adult clubs can come and participate. And if that tournament gets bigger, there'll probably be a regional version of it that happens. So adult hockey tends to be centralized in some of the major cities up and down the East Coast where you might get people going out for what they call pickup games, which is just people want to go out and play at a scheduled time. They all go out and play together. And it's just whoever shows up, shows up. Yeah. And then in areas like Boston and um, Philly, I think there are some adult leagues that are taking off and have good participation. But the the existence of an adult club game is something that is a a real a real struggle here in the U.S. right now. It's something that a lot of people want to see come about, but sadly, it's not a a natural fit with the the sports culture here in the U.S. Like. While as hockey people, we think, man, this is something that we should have. As you look across the world, you see cricket clubs, soccer clubs, all these things, and you don't see that as a common thing with the, with any of the sports here for adults. I mean, I don't know anyone who plays club baseball or club softball or, um, you know, any of the other major American sports. It tends to be this kind of more pick-up, more social environment when it comes to adult sports in this country with the exception, perhaps, of um, of soccer in different regions of the country. Do you get to see any figures on participation level across the country? Do you know if things are, you know, staying the same, growing, in decline? I I don't see any of that, I'm afraid. <laughs> no. no, we've just recently here, we've no. had, seen some figures come out from Hockey Australia saying uh, we've hit 90,000 players um, up to October and uh, we've just been trying to sort of pick that apart a little bit and see where that stands on pr- on previous years. And we think there's a, a pretty hefty decline because out of that 90,000, I think there's 
34,000 new players. Um, and two years ago, the numbers were at 96,000. You think, well, Christ, what, what's happened to those 30,000 players that have potentially disappeared then? Wow, that is that's a large number to be losing sight of. <laughs> it, it is, but then you know, so you try and look and go, well, you know, what what were the numbers in the eighties? What were they in the seventies and, and around? Of course, it's very different metrics, um, and and it's hard to sort of get get a gauge on what you might call a success or not a success with it. Um, but yeah, I was just interested to see uh, uh, if if there was a, any kind of growth. I, I think I saw in Germany. They they posted some numbers recently that they've um, they've got a growth in their participation numbers. So uh, um, hopefully they're not the only ones. I hope not. Um, but if anyone's going to be efficient at it, it's going to be them. <laughs> well, Mark, an absolute pleasure for you joining us. Thank you for staying up late into the night. There, um, it was only going to be a quick chat. Not at all. Yeah, we we did very well. Just a nice quick chat. <laughs> Sensational. We'll speak to you soon. All the best of luck for Dartmouth next season. Thank you very much, man. Cheers, best Mike. of luck with the podcast. Thanks, mate. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast, and that was my co-host Matt Allen with Mark Egner talking American hockey. Oh, so. I'm so impressed with his knowledge on it, absolutely. But but I'm also you're so... more confused than when you started the conversation. Well, this is the thing: the more you know, the more confusing it gets. That's um, right. And, and like that point on sevens, it, like the games go to overtime and automatically down to seven aside. Yeah. I just I struggle to find any kind kind of logic with it as w- why you decide seven's the way to go. Why not start with seven and don't don't get don't give people ideas. Okay, let's move on because we mentioned at the beginning of the show, oh, we're back to our traditional length of uh, episode. Um, Numbers, Matt, what is in a number? Are some big numbers actually small? Are small numbers big? So so the listener knows this is in relation to a post put out, a media statement release from Hockey Australia from the um, interim CEO there. At the moment, uh, I find it very interesting that this has been posted, the time of the posting, um, and it's written as a celebration, and I'm, but I'm not entirely sure it is. Yeah, have you got that post you open in front of you, the original? I've, I've only got the uh, hockey map, because the, the, the original post used the words like fantastic or something in there to describe it. I think you can just do, you're not going to just go back left on your browser there no, and you opened it from there no, 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 no that's alright I, I, can, I can find that chance. but anyway it's, um, it's an announcement about numbers across Australia and look before we get going with this conversation we must remind ourselves that we've had a couple of years of COVID so for all sports and probably most countries membership numbers could be all over the place for lots of different reasons and it's probably not a really good time after the last couple of years to be talking about participation in any real meaningful and true sense. Why would you put anything about it when everybody knows that numbers are going to be down here and there because of total lack of opportunity well, to play? And, and in, yeah. I mean, you can expect there's some mitigating circumstances of why things may be the way they are. So, yeah, just put that caveat on anything we, we have to say. I wouldn't expect 
participation numbers to be at all record highs after two years of many places being locked, many people being locked in their house. No. So anyway, have we found that Facebook post? No, because I'm looking on Instagram at the moment. But oh yes, <laughs> it's not on there. It's just pretty pictures on there. Yeah. No, that's the only reason you've got Instagram. That's no good. Pretty no. pictures. Put of myself on there. Yeah. It's... Um. So according to Hockey Australia. Uh, the number of hockey playing members across Australia in 2021 up 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 to October okay has reached 90,000 an amazing result for the sport considering the effects and impact of covid as of the 31st of October 90,884 people in Australia had signed up to play club hockey in 2021 a further 3,389 have participated in a hook into hockey program um, of course, that's for the kiddies, so that's real little kiddies. Uh, in 2019, the end-of-year total was 93,998, the second-highest participation rate for hockey since 2016, Matt. Um, and so you'd expect there has been a bit of a drop-off. It's only about 3,000, isn't it? Well, from the numbers at 2019 at the end of the year was 93,000, and... At this point already in October, we've 90, reached 90,000. My concern is the number that comes after a third of the 90,000. Oh, sorry, no, it was in the, in, within yeah. the statement. A third of the 90,884 are new players with 32,749 registering for the first time. I mean, that's um, amazing to get a 33% increase on new members. On, well, on your uh, sorry to make up thirty three percent of your total. Doesn't, However, <laughs> doesn't that mean that you've lost thirty thousand because you've got about the same number of registered members? Well, you'd assume because that's, you know how they work. It's got that you, know, you you would assume that, and I would go well. That's concerning. Uh, so we lost thirty thousand, but picked up thirty thousand new people. That's what. Yeah. So how's how's the attrition rate? Um, <laughs> we can't we can't be losing that many people over a, over a two year period effectively. Uh, another good, um, well, a good statistic, the almost 50-50 split between male and female participants, which highlights hockey's reputation as Australia's most gender-equal sport. Yeah, and here, here, here. A here, long, here. long time. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 51% were male teams and 50 were female. But we, it's very hard to find figures for this, isn't it, going back? so. Well, you posted something on the... Um on the original post on Facebook, which Maybe which I, I do. Oh, no, I have it. I have it here now, John. Oh. Um, you, you wrote, so in the last 40 years, WI has shrunk participation by over 50%. In response from Hockey Australia. Well done for that, oh. by the way. Uh, hi, John. Thanks for your comment. Hockey WI is the only member association that can show growth from 2019 to 2020 and again in 21. The membership platform we have today is superior to that of the 80s. Uh, that's the 1980s, not the 1880s, John. A lot of hockey being played in the 1880s. Well, towards towards the end of the decade. um, Yeah, superior to the 1980s where membership totals were estimated. And of course, this is something which is a positive, we believe, for the game. Not for our pockets, but having that central registration so they can actually have a a clear idea on people who are registered and playing hockey. Whether these figures take into account those playing school hockey or sporting schools programs or, or whatever, I think they tend not to normally. Um, and it's about participation in senior competitions and junior competitions. Um, you're going to be more accurate than you would have been in the past where you've got players playing both 
and people would say, how many people are playing? Well, we've got 10 teams. If you're telling a sponsor that you've got 10 teams, then you say, well, that's, you know, 160-plus players um, rather than taking it as well, 11 players per team. Well, have a look at um, the two, what we should use as a benchmark is the 2019 figure because that was the last season where we played normally. Since then, any figures are going to be affected by COVID. Yeah. And we've got to remember here in WA in the last two years, we played during a time when the rest of the country was locked down. People were in their homes. We played a full season of hockey. Well, we played a 12-game tw- season. The year before. The year before, yeah, yeah. And then a full season last season. Last season. Yeah. So um, This year. I would expect that the, the participation rates would have remained healthy. Mm-hmm. In, you know, you go up and down a little bit. So take, let's take that... 2019, 93,000. Okay, try and get something to measure that. You'll get some benchmarks going, and you have to, oh, God, you did some research, and you have to dig around a bit. But you can find little bits and pieces. Now, this is from a report, uh, the humanrights.gov.au report, um, this particular yeah, well, it's, it's about, information it's, but it's got taken from. Racial discrimination, what's the score, PDF, hockey. And there's, there's all sorts of information in yeah. there. Now, who plays hockey? Hockey Australia has 106,623 registered players from 808 hockey clubs across the nation. Now, this particular document... Um, it was 2005. The 2005 Australian Hockey Census produced in November that year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, reveals that there were 177,127 participants in regular Australian hockey competitions and programs. In 2005... There were 93,000 participants in winter club hockey competitions. So that's got to be the metric that we're, we're looking to go against on this recent release. Or is it? Or is that all participants? Because there's other data here. 15,000 participants in summer club competitions. 9,000 participants that, in indoor that's, hockey. That's not, I don't see, I don't think that's going to be... That's the same people. That's the same people who would be playing those summer competitions. There'd be a minuscule amount that would only be playing summer summer hockey competitions. Um, three, two, three percent at best, I would think. Everybody else would be playing regular hockey in a normal season. Sorry, I'll shut up. So what we're talking about is these aren't unique individual users. Wow. Uh, and so they've got a, a table here with breaking it down by states. And New South Wales has thirty-three thousand players, and WA had. 14,000 uh, are playing in the winter competition, uh, but extracted through summer competitions, indoor hockey, school hockey, and modified programs, they got that total to 24,000, which is close to what it is at the moment. I think it's 21,000, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the current figure. So, but what, so they got this figure from 2005 of 93,617. And so what was the number for... That's tw- just 20? playing winter, winter hockey mm-hmm. in, a, in a winter proper competition. So when when you go back and look at the Hockey Australia, um, it doesn't. But it's only like a three hundred difference on that number of twenty nineteen um, participation, the second highest participation rate of hockey. But it do, it doesn't it doesn't explain where if that is just winter competition or not. It says up until as of the thirty first of October. All right. So what do, what do you think the point of this post is and why are we measuring the success of registration at this point of the year like taking the data up till October why not wait until January and have the whole year's 
Well, you make the point. When you register with Hockey Australia, when are you registered to? So I've, I'm paid for... You know, yeah, well, I, no, I believe I believe it's January to January, well, to end of, end of December. It's a twelve month period because if you get people that haven't played the winter season, so they're not registered, and you want them to be involved in a summer competition and have insurance, then they pay a pro rata basis for that threat, or it could be indoor hockey as well, for that period to the end of December the thirty first, and then you're into the next year. Then now most people will register for their winter competition. Maybe you have Reggio Day, sort of middle of Feb, but end of Feb, March, right up to the first game, you know, at the end of March and April. So if you're playing in those summer club competitions or indoor hockey, in that period from January the 1st to that time that you actually registered, I don't, I don't think you're insured. I don't think you, you, you're covered um, yeah. as a registered. So I don't think it's particularly clear that you should be registering for the hockey season with Hockey Australia from January the 1st if you want to have the the, the rights of being um, a registered player within that time period. And, and because a lot of people would think, well, I'll pay my fees and register in March and that'll see me through till next March. No. I don't think it does. It doesn't work that way? No. Okay. I mean... We've got to remember too, sport like hockey, like many other sports in this country and others, relies on government funding. So participation numbers are extremely important to sports yes, organisations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we know that over the years, sports organisations are extremely ready for it, laissez-faire, <laughs> in, their, in their attitude to exactly what metrics and how they collect some of these numbers. And like we've just, well. We it highlight things like this that have been highlighted before. School hockey accounts for forty-seven thousand of a total of one hundred and seventy-seven thousand participants, which is what they're claiming. You know, we've got one hundred and twenty-seventy-seven thousand participants. Now, what percentage of that forty-seven thousand are kiddies who are playing school hockey on a Friday or a Saturday morning and then turning out for their club? So they're not a unique individual. Yeah. You know, they're part of that ninety-three thousand. Uh, so all of these figures have, um, can be very rubbery around the edges a lot of the time. I mean, who's to know? And you can understand why sports go, yep, yep, we'll do it this way. Yeah. Because it's all about funding. It's all about getting the money. But that's it. But like my point before, it's is it 11 players or is it 16 players in, in your squad? Well, if you're looking for a grant or some funding, uh, then it's 16 players. If it's about paying per head for use of a facility, it's 11 <laughs> players. <laughs> it's quite simple. Yeah. And that's that's an almost 50% difference, John. Now, I'm trying to get hold of some more statistics, so we might have a look at it in coming weeks. Because, uh, But like the post from would... Hockey Australia to you saying it's very hard to, and it was, you know, a little bit of a yeah. guesstimate from different but, state organisations. Yeah, and... but there's, there's ways of at least getting a statistically valid estimate. And, and an estimate that's... Well, I can go, I can go back know, to a... 50,000 50, is good, or, you know... I that. can go back to a hockey bulletin from 1962 and open up the back pages yeah. and look at how many men's right. men's grades were playing then, yeah. and you know that you'd look to have 11 people per grade genuinely because yeah. there weren't any substitutions, and you didn't double up. There was none of that happening. And if you weren't selected... You weren't selected, you know. That's yeah. you, you. You wouldn't be playing, and particularly for for juniors coming through that might have had an opportunity to play. Not if it's full with the eleven, that's it. So that's about as accurate as you probably can well, do. Go, old, how many teams are yeah, there? And, the old yeah. hockey bulletin that we used to get in the eighties used to proclaim forty four thousand. 
that was what it said. Registered hockey players oh, in Western Australia. Said, no, no, no. It, I, that's why I need to get hold of it to remind myself. But it used to list all of the fixtures for men's hockey. Yeah. Oh, not the fixtures, the tables. But only men's hockey because we're two separate organisations. Yeah, yeah. Now, well, the, I, I the want distrib- to get hold of one to try and figure out, get a rough estimate. The distribution of... 44,000 versus 21, I'd say that a 50% cut is not just a... a, a um, a, a mistake of times gone by and their yeah, estimation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. um, the the distribution of the the little the pamphlet the the magazine uh, back in back in back in the sixties back in the sixties was twenty one uh, two thousand one hundred and fifty, but Perth was a much smaller place then. Yeah, and a lot of these figures too are uh, we've got to put in relation to per capita yeah. and how that works out. So, you know, New South Wales have got more. They've got 23, and we've only got 21. Well, they've got, you know, three times or four times the population. Yeah, yeah. So that figure, suddenly, that bigger figure suddenly looks a little bit small, doesn't it? I mean, this isn't uh, an Australian hockey podcast, of no. course, John. I mean, why... But what, it's what, relevant no, to what, other, other, so what happens in other national associations and even state associations or provincial or whatever mm-hmm. around the place. These are the, the number problems you come up with. Yeah, yeah. I just re- remembered, we t- I spoke about some of this stuff to Mark as well, so there might be a bit of du- duplication. <laughs> oh, well, you get that. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. Time to get things wound up, I think. We're uh, back yeah, to old form, it. definitely. Sorry, folks, you can get back to your day. Of course, if you are travelling around, you're in the car, you're, you're at home, pop on the podcast and get a few other people listening to it, whether they like it or not. Hashtag Glohopo. Why not? Um, and do follow us on the socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Facebook. If you want to help us out financially with our hockey podcast endeavours, you can become a Patreon. Thank you so much to our current Patreons. We would not do this without your support. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the reverse stick. Or, John, you can go to buy, buy me, me a coffee beer. Buy me, do it properly, buy John. Buy me a coffee. Dot com. Buy me a coffee. Oh, Doctor forward slash the reverse stick. That's the way. Should we start a buymeabeer.com? No. Because that, that, that might imply that we're alcoholics, alcoholics or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been going heavy on the Pepsi. I'll say I that once those, again. Yeah. The Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. The Pepsi to power today's show. I'll um, just have another bite of my Domino's pizza. <laughs> Oh, yum. That does look delicious, John. Would you like some KFC, Matt? <laughs> Why not? Any hot wings? Um, little uh, Before we go, John, little post I saw from the FIH this week. Celebrate this World Children's Day with us by sharing your skills. Hashtag World Children's Day. If you are up to 18 years old, send us your photos or videos showing any amazing hockey trick or skill at media at FIH.ch. Please note... You must be between 13 and 18 years old to participate and obtain the consent of your parent. Oh, got it. So, World Children's Day, none of you 12-year-olds. <laughs> are you gonna... I read somewhere else about adult hockey starting at 15 on one of the National Association posts. It might have even been an FIA thing. So, hang on a minute. So, you've got a window of 13 to 15, basically, where you could fit in as a child. Um, yes. Odd. Crazy. Odd, but, odd you, I thought. You know what? Uh it always helps to have a refreshing Red Bull before you take on any. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, in fact, 
deliciously refreshing. I guzzled one as soon as I got into the club last night for uh, looking after the place for the mixed uh, 11 aside stuff. That was good. Uh, yeah, delicious Red Bull. I really felt as I had wings after I, I drank it. Do you reckon any of going to pay off? No. No. You might as well just mention Southern Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> around the corner and then, they make a great pizza and then take, well done Southern pizza. and then take the podcast in and go oh I heard this the other day <laughs> oh, yeah. oh wow these guys are talking about how good your pizza is bloody good pizza uh, just one other exciting thing John the announcement coming yeah. out of the FIH about the Fives tournament happening in, in Lausanne um, did, well, did they make an announcement but it's the one that's happening in Lausanne is that some del- sort delayed of, have, have they got like the FIH robot doing everything there what? And the, At the FIH, I heard it was empty. Oh, the office? Yeah. Yeah. And not much is happening there. I bet the... Uh, heard, heard Thierry hasn't been seen around Lausanne for a while. Someone should send him a map. <laughs> Has he not been there? Apparently not. I'm, that's just... These are rumours. You can work... Remember, we don't deal in rumours, man. No, we don't. We start them. <laughs> Sometimes. Let other people worry about this rumour spreading. Sometimes they come true. Look... Good luck if uh, you're supporting any of the sides involved in the NCAA finals oh. this weekend as well. John, one more thing from you before oh, you no, press I the d- button. Yeah, I, I just remember what Thierry's doing. What? Getting the financials ready to post. Oh, they they're should. not up there. Yeah, they're, no, they're no, not up there yet. Oh, 2019, not up there. 2020 should be out, but it's not quite there yet. Of course, when there's no one in the office to do any work, it's a hard thing to do to get financials out, isn't it, Matt? Yes, it is. Which is a real pity because, you know, that would also include the foundation financials, Matt, which are really interesting, which apparently is the part of Swiss law that um, the money bean counters really go after is foundations, not organisations like the FIA. So plenty to come in the future with those folks, I'm sure. There, folks. Bye-bye. Take care. Enjoy your hockey. Give it a whack. Um, <laughs> so, interesting post came up locally from a local club feed this week. Shall, oh. we, shall I mention the, the names? It's out, it's out there. It's on Facebook. Do any of the clubs mention our people that listen to us? Oh, so I just seen we've just got some messages coming in from Keely Dunn here. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, no, can't read that out. <laughs> Um, this is from the North Coast Raiders Hockey Club in the northern suburbs here, here in Perth. Hello, members and all parents of junior and ju- all parents of junior members. The board of North Coast Raiders Hockey Club would like to update you regarding training for season 2022. Oh, yeah. After initiating inquiries back in July with Whitford's Hockey Club, North Coast Raiders was advised in late October that the board of Whitford Hockey Club has decided not to allocate any training times to North Coast Raiders from 2022 onwards. Instead, Whitford Hockey Club has chosen to expand their own club's training allocation at the expense of our club, whilst retaining Modernian's Hockey Club's turf training allocation. North Coast Raiders reached out again to Whitford to propose a reasonable approach to turf training for all three clubs, including an alternative alternative solution for a phased adjustment to North Coast Raiders training over several years, along with a balanced allocation of training uh, hours between North Coast Raiders and MODs. This was also rejected by the Whitford Hockey Club board. As a foundation club of the Warwick Hockey Centre that has supported Whitford Hockey Club and the turf facility over the five years it's been operating, 
We're extremely disappointed that Whitford Hockey Club has chosen this position. Uh, North Coast Raiders is even more appalled that Whitford Hockey Club has also requested that we do not designate the Warwick Hockey Centre as our home ground for all future seasons from 2022. North Coast Raiders have been working with Hockey WA since Whitford Hockey Club's decision and now with neighbouring turf facilities to finalise a solution to this sudden and unexpected situation. Now, North Coast Raiders are a, a club that don't have their own turf facility. This Warwick Hockey Centre is similar to the setup that we've got at, at Fremantle Coburn, yeah. moved into a new site. We are the home club for that venue. Um, granted, we, when we weren't in a situation where we were being, uh, we brought other clubs on board to sharing as no, a home no, ground no. to make sure that there was enough income coming in to, to make it happen. Uh, that's the situation there with Whitford's being the, effectively the tenant and, you know, they run the, but, run the facility North there. Coast were involved before the centre opened though as far as well with with an, with, with, yeah, with an agreement understandings and yeah, blah, blah, we will blah, come blah. and pl- we will come and play our hockey there whereas yeah, yeah. presently I think the Perth Hockey Stadium was their home venue yeah. much like it was um, for us prior, prior yeah, yeah, to having yeah. our, our own turf so obviously very disappointing from North Coast Raiders now the distance between the current North Coast Raiders club rooms and the Whitford Hockey Club Warwick Hockey Centre is about 8.6 kilometres or something so it's pretty close. There's no other clubs sort of in, in between those two. But within your catchment areas, yeah, that's their neighbours, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah. I don't know if there's any history of any great rivalry there. There was talks of some kind of potential merger some years ago. Maybe North Coast Raiders took the lead with that. Um, now, is this, is this something that there's something funny going on in the background, maybe some old wounds or whatever, or is this just a, a, a purely a, a commercial and club strategic decision from Whitford's to go, well, why would we be encouraging players within this area to go and play for that club when they don't have a turf and we have a turf and we've seen it happen. You've got the turf. as a, Your junior kids and parents are going to go to the club that has the turf as opposed to the one that has to go and borrow turfs or, or book turfs elsewhere. Yep, true. Um, I mean, what changes have happened, say, on the respective boards? from the people that first mm-hmm. made these decisions and, and had these arrangements to the people who are making the decisions now. what, How much change has there been? Have you got a whole new breed of people on one board who are going, well, we're in town now, so things are changing? Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Now there's you, some... you have talked about junior poaching before. Yeah. And um, let's just say privately we have discussions about uh, uh, the tendency of certain people to pinch juniors. Let's call it that. Yep. And perhaps there's an element of that creeping in. Where where it is a serious push to push the other club out. No, we want all these juniors. Well they're also we don't want you having them. They're also in the process of speaking to council about building their own facility, North North Coast Raiders, but that's you know, it's a it's a way down the line. Or maybe it's preemptive then. Oh, you're doing that, are you? Well, off you go. Well, some of the some of the comments on the Facebook post, um, obviously with a, um, a North Coast Raiders kind of bent, were, oh, well, that's great for the development of hockey. Oh, you know, where's the spirit of hockey? Um, and all and all of that. But I, you know, I look at it and and you know, applying that to us with a local rival. Here's the thing: I'm supportive of hockey everywhere, except except. <laughs> Kind of joking, but not, not, not really. No, you're no, not. No, no. You're not joking at all, mate. No. Um, 
and it's a really weird juxtaposition to take. And I'm sure for a lot of people, it would be kind of quite hard to to understand. Um, but yeah, that that rivalry for me personally, and maybe this is the situation between that some yeah. within those two clubs. Is that no? Sorry, that's above for the good of the game, for the good of and, hockey. And, uh, for the, if you want for the good of hockey, send your players to me. Let's not forget that it, um, North Coast for a long time have been playing Premier hockey and have won titles in recent times. You know they've had very strong and titles. out of one of the founder clubs. You know they were originally Perth yeah. Perth Hockey Club and, and Scar and Scarborough Hockey yeah. Club. I think they were. Yeah, and that's the, the, the amalgamation. Teams have been strong too. Yeah, 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 yeah. For Historically, okay. Um, Whitford's they came from some of the worst grass fields that you could play on. There and they were a small little community club. You know they didn't play A grade. They I can't even remember what their top grade was. But they they played on terrible fields and they had to share club rooms with football clubs and other sports and all this sort of stuff. And it was Whitford who managed to get off their bums and get something done. Now I'm not saying North Coast weren't trying, but I reckon there'd still be people at Whitford's that aren't happy that it was Whitford's that went out and got a turf and got a facility and did things. And it's their club that didn't. Yeah. And and Whitford's now are playing in. In the Classic League, the yes. Premier League. Yep, in the, they've now in the got, man, yep. yep, they've got a men's Classic League team. So they are growing, and they're going to continue to grow. And maybe that, that part of that dynamic is what's leading into, you know, the, the current frustrations. Well, we've grown up now, and we don't need you. We, we built this facility, not you. Mm. Well, look, be interesting to uh, see what else comes, comes under the wash with it, because I'm sure we'll hear, hear more.